Hey, this is Jeff Benjamin, along with my colleague, Bruce Kelly, and this is the Investment News Podcast. This is our very first podcast Bruce and I have done together, uh, and we're trying to figure it out. We're hoping it sounds great on your end because uh, it feels good on our end. Uh, Bruce, you excited about this? You ready? Man, Jeff, I really don't know. You know, you and I, we've been talking about doing this for years, and then finally we got a new boss, George Moriarty, last year, who said, hey, why aren't you guys doing podcasts? <laughs> and I said, I said to myself, oh, no, George might really want us to do a podcast. So, you know, I'm on kind of, I'm on kind of pins and needles in the old home studio in Upper Manhattan here, Jeff. You know, so uh, I got all my kids' uh, junk all over the place and all my junk all over the place. I sure hope that we get this to work somehow. Yeah, I hear you. I'm I'm here in uh, uh, in uh, North Carolina on the coast and uh, also in my home studio. And uh, let me just give you folks a, an idea of what we're we're looking at here. We're going to do this weekly. Yeah, what are we doing every week, Jeff? Yeah, uh, we're going to have we're going to have three or four segments every week where we, we dig deep dive into something and uh, then we're going to have a little open notebook segment at the end where we uh, we pick apart something. It could be funny, it could be serious, it could be sad, but uh, we promise you're not going to get this anywhere else. Hey Bruce, why don't you take it away and lead us into the first segment? Well, the first se- segment I want to talk about, Jeff, um, is something pretty serious. And so we're kicking it off with one of the most important issues really in the financial advice industry. And that's the issue of diversity and Wall Street diversity. And historically, Wall Street has had a lot of problems with having a diverse um, workforce on all its levels, and particularly with financial advisors. And I think this week, what we saw was that Wall Street and the broader financial services and financial advice industries really failed to cover themselves uh, with glory. And I'm going to focus a little bit on two incidents that occurred, one an incident that happened on the streets of San Francisco and another that happened in the federal courts of of Brooklyn and in the canyons of Wall Street, really. So first up, you got to tip your hat to a lot of the big firms out there who are trying to have more diverse workforces and populations of financial advisors. Recently, just last week or two weeks ago, uh, Raymond James made an announcement regarding a LGBTQ initiative. It's kicking off an organization or a group inside Raymond James called the Raymond James Pride Financial Advisors Network. Uh, the new network will be dedicated to the support of Raymond James clients and advisors who identify within and serve the LGBTQ community. Okay, I like that. And then most recently, the CEO of, of uh, Morgan Stanley, which has you know 16,000 advisors, is a hugely important company in the financial advice business. Uh, James Gorman said he's going to make the firm's going to make a large multi-million dollar donation to the NAACP's Legal and Defense Fund, and also promote two black women to senior leadership committees. Okay, we we like that too. Unfortunately, those policies don't. While those policies are good, sometimes people can be bad. I think. Um, and uh, the people and the policies have to mesh somehow. First off, we did a story earlier this week um, about a, a Raymond James bond manager in San Francisco who was taped walking down the street with his, I believe it was his wife or his girlfriend, and he was taped challenging uh, a guy um, who was stenciling a Black Lives Matter slogan on the sidewalk or in the, on the wall of the house or something like that. And he said something like, are you defacing private property or is this your building, et cetera? 
And it was kind of, I, I think that the, it was offensive to the um, guy who was uh, taping, uh, uh, who, who was putting a stencil sign up and Raymond James, and he put it on Twitter, it exploded on Twitter and Raymond James wound up firing the guy. Uh, and then on Wednesday, the former head of the diversity, global diversity at Morgan Stanley sued the firm. She was laid off at the end of last year, sued the firm for race and gender discrimination, retaliation and unequal pay. Morgan Stanley rejected those claims, etc. So you have these two firms make big initiatives and then weeks, literally weeks, days later, their people show them up uh, and do embarrassing things. Um, and one in making all kinds of allegations in a law, lawsuit, Marilyn Booker, Morgan Stanley, and the other guy, Robert Larkins at Raymond James, kind of behaving in a very insensitive manner at a time that in our country that demands a lot of sensitivity, I think. So what's your impression about, or you talk to these firms, you see people out in the industry, what's your Im- impression about diversity? And is the financial advice industry doing a good job becoming more diverse or what? What's your? Because I have some statistics that I'd like to throw at you after. Well, <clears throat> clearly the examples you cited is not are not good looks for Wall Street or, or really any company. Um, and you, you got to kind of applaud the swift action that those companies took. Right. But it, it also is in this time of extreme social unrest and focus on diversity and equality and, and racial discrimination. These things are getting a lot more attention than maybe they otherwise would have gotten. But the companies themselves in the industry overall, I mean, I mean, they are at least at least on the surface putting the right foot forward. And they're they seem to be spending money and effort and resources on this stuff. But, you know, the fact is, it's a, a big, giant industry. And and there are going to be some people that don't don't fall in line or, or meet the standards of the, the larger society. I. I frankly don't think this means that Wall Street is racist and insensitive in general. I think there's there's bad examples out there. Let me you're a numbers guy. So let me throw some numbers at you, right? All right. So from an article that was on an investment news article that was uh, reported by Bloomberg from 2007, they were citing some industry st- statistics from SIFMA, which is the big Wall Street trade group that cited that something like 15 or 16% this is in 2007, mind you, of financial advisors at the big Wall Street firms that are SIFMA members. That's Morgan Stanley, Merrill Lynch, UBS, et cetera. 15% or 16% were women, something like that. And around 2% were uh, black or African-American. And in Marilyn Booker's wa- uh, lawsuit, she's claiming that less than 1% of Morgan Stanley's 16,000 financial advisors today are black, you know, and when I asked Morgan Stanley specifically about that, they gave me a no comment. I said, how many, what's the percentage of women advisors, Latino advisors, African-American advisors at your firm? And it was a quick, no comment back. So even though they're trying to make these policies and initiatives, right, it's, there's a, I, I think at a later date, we can get into some hypotheticals and some explanations and some theories about why it is so tough for these big firms to train and recruit and to have through their system career advisors who are uh, minorities or 
women. We just don't have enough time for it today. Yeah, I mean, it's a good point. It, clearly, the financial services industry in general is mostly white and mostly male. Um, and a lot of the things that I've heard over the years writing stories on this topic is lack of role models or lack of people to look up to to be mentors in this space. I mean, to me, Northern Trust Asset Management is a great example of a company that that has gone beyond that kind of right. limit with uh, Shundred Thomas, a good example, president of Northern Trust Asset Management. But uh, clearly, it's uh, there's a long way to go. And the industry has been focused on this for a long time and right now more than ever. Um, yeah, but to me, those numbers are still stark. From 2007, 2% of advisors are African-American on Wall Street. And this week in her lost lawsuit, Marilyn Booker said that less than 1% of uh, the advisors at Morgan Stanley are, are African-American. That means Wall Street and the financial advice industry is going backwards despite all of this effort and time and meetings, right? And surveys and work, you know, and I'd, I'd like to carve out some more time at a later date to get into that because I think that's another, that's a whole, you know, we're just saying this is what happened. I think later we'd like to say, why has it devolved this way? Because there's a lot of different explanations that 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 um, that we can discuss. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we could probably talk about this every week. We could talk about it every day, um, and and it needs attention. Well, Jeff, I'm sure we're going to be talking about diversity, you know, and as you said, across um, you know the coming weeks, uh, plenty of times, because it's such a huge, important issue for the industry. But we want to talk in a little bit now, a little bit something more granular. Uh, which you raised, which you had questions about in the newsroom this week, LPL, like a lot of other firms, are trying to focus their advisors on succession plans. They introduced and LPL intro- introduced a new program this week, but you kind of put your hand up in the air and said, "Hey, LPL, is this sounds pretty familiar? Haven't you been doing this all along? What, what's going on at LPL?" They launched something called the Assurance Plan, and basically what it is, it's for financial advisors, RAAs, affiliated with LPL that don't have formal succession plans in place. And what they are doing is- that is, a lot of advisors? That's a lot of advisors though, right? It's, uh, well, they've got almost 17,000 advisors, and they said 60% of them do not have formal succession plans in place. Still. Uh, I mean, people have been talking about this for like 15 years, man. Well, industry-wide, the estimate is uh, 70% of RIAs do not, independent advisors do not have succession plans in place. So this is a real, real problem. And That's amazing. So, I mean, this is where I give LPL credit for basically addressing this issue by basically saying, yeah. you know, for a, as they describe it, they wouldn't tell me how much it costs, but they said for a nominal monthly fee, sound <laughs> a little bit like an infomercial there, <laughs> and there's more. Anyway, for a nominal monthly fee, what they do is you get an annual valuation of your firm, which advisors always love because nobody knows what their firm is worth. Yeah, of course. Um yeah. And you get if if something should happen to you, these are like, you know, worst case scenario plans. All right. Right. Catastrophic plans. If you die or somehow become incapacitated, they will uh, basically make sure that your beneficiary is taken care of so that you the value of your firm is passed along to your heirs and they will move as quickly as possible to sell your firm. So it's called Um, the insurance plan, but it sounds like insurance to me. Right. But but there's more. See, 
this, I asked him, I said, well, well, if they're LPL advisors, essentially, what did you do before you had this thing in place? And aside from the annual valuation, they did all this stuff anyway. So I was saying, I was talking to uh, Jeremy Holly there. Right. He was in charge of this thing. And I said, how are you, why, why would anybody pay for this when, you know, you, you basically getting it anyway? And he didn't really have a solid answer, but he does make a good point that what this does is it raises awareness. I mean, it's kind of like having a will. I mean, if you die without a will, your heirs are still going to get your stuff. They're just going to be a little bit more of a hassle than if you have a will. So I kind of look at these insurance plans as sort of like a will. But if you're an advisor, you got to ask yourself, do you want to pay that nominal monthly fee for this? Uh, so you can maybe know that it's going to be a little smoother if something happens to you. Right. Because these aren't real succession plans. These aren't like, I'm going to retire and this will take. This is if you, you know, unfortunately. No, if you, you're in a small plane and it goes down and yeah. you, you, you crash right. a takeoff, right? Or one of those <laughs> so, one of those deals. Yeah. The cool thing I like about this, and, and I give them credit for it, is they acknowledged that if nothing else, this will get more advisors to get off their butts and get themselves a real succession plan. Oh, I'll believe it, it when I see it. It boggles my mind. <laughs> you know, we're talking about it. We're talking about an industry that that oversees, you know, billions and trillions. billions of dollars trillions. for individuals and institutions. Yeah. And they don't have a plan in place. Seventy percent of them don't have plans in place if something happens to them. You know, I can just say, Jeff, about the fee, you know, uh, I've been covering LPL for years, right? And so whenever they do make these fee adjustments, I am, you know, I usually have half a dozen advisors emailing me or calling me, right, to, to complain about them. So if I haven't heard from the advisors at LPL regarding this, two things must be going on. Either times are pretty good for these guys, right? And they can, ah, another fee, another 50 bucks a month or something like that, another 100 bucks a month. Ten years ago, that would have driven them up a wall. Uh, so times must be good, or uh, y- you know, it's just it's just not that meaningful to them. Or or the, the the bug that you're saying is that they get the valuation on on the firm, which is what they didn't get before, right? Yeah, they must like that. Well, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, um, it's uh, like I said, it's a step in the right direction. Anytime you can get advisors to think about succession planning, my hat's off to you. Yeah. I, I can't believe more people don't do this uh, or don't have something in place. Um, but on that note, let's talk about uh, what you see, Bruce Kelly, as uh, some. Oh, I see some dark clouds ahead, coming. Jeff Benjamin. Dark clouds ahead. Dark All clouds right. ahead, this my is, friend. Uh, this is where Bruce <laughs> Kelly gets his, uh, you know, I get scared people because uh, all heck is breaking loose from the dark clouds. Um, yeah, I just think, you know, just sitting back and reading the tea leaves here, I think you're going to see uh, a summer of cost-cutting announcements and layoff announcements at some of these larger financial institutions that have not gotten their acts together yet to really weather, you know, the low interest rate environment really hurts these guys, the zero interest rate environment, which we're back to, which they thought we'd gotten, which these firms thought they'd gotten out of, that really affects you know, tens of millions of dollars that they that these big institutions thought that, that were going to go to their bottom lines, and then lower asset values. You know, if at the end of each quarter also uh, hurts their uh, revenues. Um, so we'll see which way the market goes, of course. But 
I'm just thinking about two recent examples. You were, we reported recently some belt tightening at Satara, kind of some layoffs of some or some senior people were leaving there. We reported that back in April, and then we reported a freeze in merit pay increases earlier this month at Satara, and then at a financial services conference here in New York City, not here in New York City, but via Morgan Stanley. Um, last week, the chief financial officer from Wells Fargo said that they had layoffs uh, in the works there too. Now that Wells Fargo Advisors is kind of its standalone business under the umbrella of Wells Fargo, the bank. So we don't know how that's going to affect the financial advisors there. But the bank uh, side of Wells Fargo and the uh, Wells Fargo and the advisor side of Wells Fargo are more and more interdependent uh, on each other. And so there's got to be some connection to those um, uh, two organizations. So I just think thinking about Satara, hearing what the CFO of Wells Fargo had to say, John Shrewsbury, at uh, this Morgan Stanley conference last week, um, those are big institutions that work with tens of thousands of financial advisors. If, if you know, I just see more of this uh, cost cutting to come, how are these big banks and big brokerages going to um, weather the next six to 12 to 18 months during the COVID time, uh, they're going to keep profits uh, in line by cutting costs, most likely. And that's going to affect financial advisors. So I see a dark, more storm clouds in the summer ahead, unfortunately, for people. I don't like layoffs. You How? don't like them. And, but I think they're going to be a fact of life for a, lot, for a lot of these big financial institutions. How does this, this outlook of yours compare to for example, the financial crisis. I mean, you, you're you 100 years old, Bruce. You've been through a few things. What uh, what was it like during the financial crisis when unemployment was high and the financial services industry was taking some big hits? Did you yeah, see well, the same there kind of you thing? Have what, what I recall most from, from that is just whole-scale mergers, right? You had Bank of America absorb Merrill Lynch, right? You had uh, Wells Fargo absorb absorb Wachovia. You had uh, big independent brokerage networks absorbing smaller broker dealers. And the way to cut costs is by cutting the back office, you know? So it happened the last time around, right? And it's going to happen this time around. Um, and like I said, I, I don't want to see it. You don't want to see it, but that's, that's what's going on. Or that's, that, that's my prediction essentially for the summer. And okay. th- that kind of brings it, Jeff, what something I, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing from you, which is really about uh, kind of a you recently spoke to a bunch of money managers and advisors about what the market's going to do for the for the rest of the year. Uh, you do that every year, I think. Right. For your mid-year outlook. Yeah. Um, I'm just kind of curious because this man, the past three months in the market have just been crazy with covid being the dominating force here. What did you hear from people? And, and how is this time, you know, do I got to sell all, do I got to go to cash and sell everything or what do I got to do, man? Yeah, Bruce, you should always be in cash. First of all, <laughs> I recommend hundred percent cash and then get right in your closet and stay there. All right. It's the safest place. Can you throw some blankets on me too? If you do want to have enough money, what's that? Throw some blankets on me too in the closet. Yeah. Like but if you do it, want to have enough money uh, to eventually retire, um, you might want to get a little bit of your money in the market. And um, what I thought was interesting, Jeff Sherman of, uh, of Double Line, he had a good uh, kind of comment when we were talking about, he called it the, the Rip Van Winkle approach. 
He said, if you if you fell asleep on January 1st and woke up today, you and just looking at the market, you wouldn't even know there was anything going on. Uh, you wouldn't know about a global pandemic. You wouldn't know about uh, uh, social unrest in the streets. That's a great um, comment. Because yeah. the market is, in many ways, kind of shrugging a lot of this off. Uh, aside from the, the, the peak in January in February, which fell 30% uh, to mid to March 23rd, it's it's been on a 40% gain since that point. Um, it's still down. The S&P is down about 3.5% for the year. But it looks like the market is disconnected from reality. And that's what a lot well, the, of the these, Fed threw uh, $3 trillion into the market, right? Right. It is a, a stimulus supported uh, stock market right now. Right. And in many ways, bond market. But um, to me, it also speaks to something along the lines of the way investors are kind of now immune to even extreme, the most extreme volatility most people have ever seen uh, because of a 10-year bull market. Um, that's that's a strong, strong indicator. Now, a lot of the financial advisors I talk to, they like to take credit for this. They say, our clients are long-term investors. We've trained them. We teach them. They, their risk tolerance is right in line with what they need to be. Um, I'm sure there's some of that there, but I also think investors just think stock markets go up because that's what they've done for for a pretty long time now. I mean, to be fair, the stock stock markets do have an upward bias just because of time and money going in and, and retirement 401k plans and stuff like that. But um, they also go down as as people are now seeing. So, well, I think something one of the other things that, that, that you've that you've raised um, in our mm -hmm. meetings and, and in discussions and, and the like is that what's somewhat different about market the market now is that the declines are so much faster and sharper than they have been historically in the past, right? I mean, we had a decline at the end of 2018. The market dropped 20%. We had a decline in February to March this year. The market was down 30 35% in a month. Like, I remember people like, you know, James Stewart of the New York Times saying, I, you know, he wrote a column about this. He said, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. This scared the bejesus out of me. You know, I've never seen anything like this. So the, the volatility, right, is something that's new and different here. Uh, it's it's sort of new, though. I mean, you know, October 19th, 1987, I think the market fell 20 percent right. in a day. In a day. Yeah. So and but by the end of 1987, it was it was a positive year for the market. So to me and I I'm not even going to pretend to know what the markets are going to do next, but uh, it is a little encouraging when you see a 30% drop followed by a 40% gain. Um, and who knows how long this is going to last. The bigger story here, or the kind of the backdrop of all this, is the economic story, the economy. Um, this economy is, has now been dubbed to be in a recession. And the, the biggest drag or anchor on that right now is unemployment. Until unemployment can, can come, until employment can come back, this economy is, is going to be hurting. But keep in mind that the unemployment rate is, is in some ways uh, been artificially lowered. Unlike the financial crisis, which was a, a, you know, a lot of in, in many ways uh, kind of triggered by, by banking strategies and the like, uh, this was a forced closure of an entire economy. 
and it driven by a virus. So, I mean, you could assume that the the financials, the economy is is in as good a shape as it was in December. And if things start to open up, that we should be getting back to the momentum we had go, coming into the year. But um, the downside of that is that this kind of an economic shutdown, there's going to be a lot of small businesses that probably won't survive. So it's it's a it's a slow and uncertain grind forward. Yeah, I think that kind of correlates with what I was saying, you know, about the, you know, banks and financial institutions that work with financial advisors doing layoffs, right, in the back office. Firms, you know, big companies and big banks are are always looking to to uh, change jobs around and 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 refocus on uh, technology and uh, marketing and the like. And so a lot of jobs that people had in the past just aren't going to at big institutions aren't going to be there uh, when people are ready to go back to work again. Yeah, it's uh, it's scary. Okay, now we're going to move into the open notebook segment. This week, we're going to look at the PPP loans and the well, the forgivable loans that uh, a lot of small businesses took. And it's created a lot of controversy when fee-based financial advisors took them. When this first became available or was announced in March, I wrote a column saying that financial advisory firms, fee-based financial advisory firms, should not be taking this money because a fee-based financial advisory firm is one of the few businesses that is still collecting money uh, no matter what. They, they don't even have to be in their office to, to bill clients. Um, now, granted, they were impacted they also bill by the market. at the end of the quarter, right? So, yeah, or at the start of the quarter, right? So you don't even know. I mean, as you said, the market was at a certain level on January first, and then it was at a certain level on April first, right? And that's where right. you bill your clients. You know, it's not <clears> the choppiness of going down twelve percent in a day and up six percent in a day or whatever. You know, right? It, it's a it's a live by the sword, die by the sword thing. If you're gonna tell your clients you're on the same side of the table as them because you're you make more when their portfolios are are better or stronger and higher and you make less when they're down that's what you do but what happened was a lot of these savvy financial advisory firms especially some really really big ones Carson Group Ritholtz um, they they jumped on this they got themselves loans and it it really created some strife in the industry there were advisors coming forward saying you know you you should give that money back there were advisors like Josh Brown kind of trying to justify it. Um, and in many ways, he, he he justified it as, you know, this is what we need. This is we're keeping our businesses running and we don't know what the future is. But the backlash was brutal. I mean, Josh Brown, who has more than a million followers on Twitter, he he kind of I don't I don't want to say he suspended his account, but. On May 27th, after a ton of negative comments to his his Twitter post, he uh, he stopped tweeting. Um, I talked to him about that. He said he's not off Twitter altogether, but he does have an open uh, uh, LinkedIn account, and he's you know open. I think he's open has an open Facebook page, and he's kind of open to communicate with people on social media. He also has a very active blog, but uh, it sounds like he uh, he's. He took a few lumps and he's taking a break from Twitter for now. Yeah, I'm, I really miss Josh on Twitter. He would uh, he's been tweeting out a lot of food things recently. He's he's I think he's trying to turn himself into a bit of a foodie, 
And he's always tweeting, you know, best pizza in Long Island or, hey, I'm at Joe's Stone Crabs, you know, down in Miami Beach or whatever. Hey, look at these stone crabs over here, you know. So uh, I, I, I hope Josh uh, can can uh, take the criticism and, and come back to Twitter because I love the guy on Twitter, you know. Yeah. One thing about this PPP, um, just from the broker dealer side. Uh, I was speaking to the head of a, a fairly, you know, a mid-sized broker dealer. Uh, they have th- 300 advisors, 400 advisors. They do close to $100 million in gross revenue a year along those lines um, about it. And and he was, this guy was jumping for joy, basically, when this PPP came out in March or April. I, I was thought when people were starting to apply for this. And the way he said it was, it's two months free salary basically for all his employees two months of free money to run his business you know you know the in our conversation it was very clear and evident his his point of view was i would be an idiot not to take this money you know um so uh what's good for the broker dealer is also good for the ria my friend right yeah Um, well see that if the government's going to offer the money I, i don't have an ethical debate with guys like Josh or Ritholtz or Ron Carson or uh, this guy whom I'm, I'm referring to, I don't want to name him because it was a private conversation um, and it hasn't been made public yet. But you know, uh, uh, I don't have a problem with these guys taking this money. They're, they're using it exactly for what the the um, uh, for what it's intended is to keep their businesses going and to keep the economy going. You know. Right, but if your if your business is based on fee based assets under management, and the coronavirus and does not in, impact your ability to continue doing business, my position is you should leave that money for the people that own hair salons and pizza parlors that had to completely shut down and had no money coming in. There's only right, so much money. Jeff, I, I get your point ethically, right? Totally, a hundred percent. But as a capitalist, as a pure capitalist. How can you turn down money that Uncle Sam is is giving you? Well, that's all I'm uh, saying. You know, ethically, you're 100 percent right. But the other point of view is, hey, they're giving out money. I'm going to take it. And that's why there's blowback, because some people see it as (laughs) there's only so much money there and it's not the government's money. It's your money, Bruce, and it's my money. That's why there's blowback. These are forgivable loans. I, I I, I, I see both sides on this one, man. I really do. All right. Then you're two-faced. <laughs> <laughs> Take a okay. side, damn it. I guess uh, that means we're done when the name calling starts. <laughs> okay, that was great. A lot of fun. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed listening. And Bruce, I'm, I'm sure you enjoyed doing this because I know you like to talk. So uh, passing it off to you for the wrap-up, buddy. And I know you like to listen, uh, Jeff Benjamin. <laughs> So this is a podcast, and it's going to be up on the Investment News website every Monday. So you can find the podcast here at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, which I happen to love, Google Play, and Stitcher. And by the way, you can hit us up on Twitter and give us a little feedback, advice, topics, recipes, whatever you got. Uh, Jeff Benjamin is at Benji Rider on Twitter, and I am at BD News Guy. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.